how do we get them to actually try it out? Well, if they've got to invest more than 10 or 15 minutes, unless they've heard lots of people, like, oh my God, it's neat, you got to try it out. They're going to get bored or distracted and sort of go away. And we've delayed the opportunity to capture that customer. And so we wanted to build a system that within a very short period of time, so the goal is order of 10 minutes, that engineer would say, wow, hey, I just did something that's really powerful. I just, in 10 minutes with a Hello World application, got a custom database and Active Directory and Google authentication all working simultaneously in, in 10 minutes. And I mean, that was like a, a week of messing around last time I did it. This is great, wow. You're listening to The Traction Podcast, a show focused on customer-centric growth drivers for enterprise products. Here at Traction, we will go beyond the signals of growth and reason about the drivers of product adoption. I'm your host, Anu, and today we're speaking with John Yeltsin, former CEO of OddZero at Exnor. John, welcome to the show. Thank you. Appreciate you inviting me. Before we dive into the OddZero story, could you share a bit about yourself and your background with our listeners? Let's see, I'll work, work backwards. Most recently, CEO of Exnor that we sold to Apple in January. Before that, CEO of Auth0 from close to its start to right at the end of 17. Before that, mergers, acquisitions, and investments and strategy at Microsoft for seven years. Before that, Intel Capital as a venture capitalist investor. But I started my career, I actually did have a real job at one point. I started my career as a chip designer and then a CPU architect for a company called Convex Computer, which eventually was acquired by HP to be the high end of their uh, server line. It's a supercomputer company. As we get into Adzero, I'll say that there are a lot of different pieces in a bottom-up go-to-market plan. How do you think about these various pieces, say, from a 10,000 feet level? Well, let's see. As you say, there's there are a lot of pieces of it. Maybe as a kind of a framing mechanism, we can start out by thinking, when one is trying to sell to a developer, one first has to stop thinking about selling to a developer because <laughs> uh, developers can't be sold to. They're you know, certainly right. Their whole job is to look for subtleties and solve hard problems. And so what you have to do is show that you are going to contribute to them being able to solve hard problems efficiently. And of course, as my old engineering dean used to say, a good engineer is a lazy engineer. They're always looking for efficiencies for how to do things more effectively. And so you have to think about how you're going to not sell to, but understand and sort of get into the mind of that developer so you can demonstrate that you've got a really, a really cool, really great solution for, for a nagging problem that they have. So then when we start breaking things down, you know, let's just start with awareness. You know, how do developers find out about you? Well, you can do and I've experimented with this multiple times at different companies, lots of advertising. And I think especially for a developer-focused company, that's highly ineffective. <laughs> Most developers have ad blockers and, you know, they're, they're used to being sold to and they're used to being, well, they are cynical. And it's like, ah, you know, that's uh, right. Yeah, sure. That's going to do that for me. Nah. So instead, you have to go to them with two principles that I have for sort of how to have really effective marketing. One is you actually put a a trial, you let them try it out. And then you also figure out how to get their friends to say, man, that Osiro, that Xnor, that whatever food is great. You really, you got to check this out. And everyone who's a developer has had the experience of a friend saying, you know, oh, I just ran into whatever, you know, Cypress IO for a test. It's incredible. You know, you got to check this out. And so you have to think about how do you create that dynamic for your product or service so that there's a motivation for that developer to 
try it out because once they try it out, of course, they'll be impressed because it's a great product that you've developed and also have their friends say, yeah, I've tried it and it's great. I'm actually using it right now. So if you can get that dynamic going, you have the dynamic for, for very fast growth and actually for very inexpensive growth because with both of those approaches, while it takes a lot of hard work in order to get those flywheels going, once you get them going, it ends up generating a very, very low acquisition cost for the customers. And then maybe I'll throw out a metric here so we can go into more detail is really what your goal is, is for a, a Google search for whatever your product would be, you're showing up on the top half of the first page, pay attention to page rank, do really, really good SEO. And that's a great metric because in order to, to get great page ranking, that means there has to be a lot of authentic, genuine content out there that's referencing your product, your website with positive sentiment and people are linking to you. So if you've been able to get to the top of a Google search where for typical keywords that people would be using, that means you're doing your content marketing, i.e. building the content, building the awareness uh, really, really well. So maybe the number one metric to aim for is top of the Google page rank for your search terms. Yeah, makes sense. So as a framework, I'm querying four pieces. One, the product, something that achieves a task that you wouldn't otherwise be able to achieve safely or, or without risk compared to building yourself. And then second is marketing that helps customers organically discover the product, say through Google. And third was positioning in a way that focuses on developers as being intelligent, smart, cynical sometimes, but mostly rational buyers. And fourth is adoption, where you said a combination of trials and maybe trusted word of mouth from fellow practitioners matters a lot. So there's a lot in there. Let's dive in. Could you wind time back for us a little bit? What led the team to build Auth0? I guess really the start of Auth0 is having both of our founders, Eugenio and Matias, that you know, worked in the authentication space for a number of years. And Matias was coming off one project he was doing for a, a large international company, you know, implementing an authentication solution for them. And he found it really painful. And he's like one of the best people in the world for authentication and authorization. And so it sort of kicked off with him thinking, you know, if I find it this hard, how do like people who don't have years of authentication experience find it? It's even worse. And there's a lot of things here that can be done in an automated and opinionated fashion. And so let's capture those and make that available. And I think it's really a lot of the same thinking for hey, I've tried to do authentication. It was death by a thousand cuts. It's really painful. There's a better way. Let me build a system to automate it. I think it was the same sort of thinking that probably drove Jeff Lawson at Twilio to say, you know, there's a heck of a lot better way than just directly using the Ryzen or ATT APIs for SMS or for the Collison brothers at Stripe to say, man, these, you know, this thesis backend sucks. Let me do something better here. And it was really, I think, the same thought process of here is a essential, but let's say irrational system, payments, telephony, <laughs> authentication, that lots of corner cases to trip you up and put you at high risk. Let's package all that up and make it available as an easy service. So I think the founding was kind of getting pissed off at how hard authentication was unnecessarily and saying, we're going to make it easy. And that became Auth0. Nice. What was important to get right with the product? Well, I guess the most important was to actually get it up and running and behave correctly. <laughs> There's no, no hyper marketing we could do to cover up any defects with the product. So goal number one was super high quality. 
and of course also a great great uptime so it's highly highly reliable that's where we we started then our first forays out into the market was actually just tweeting to friends saying hey we've got something here that we think makes authentication a a bit easier. Would you mind trying it out? Just telling us, what do you think? Did we do the right things? Is it really making things easier? Or what are we missing? Just let me know what you think. And so that was how it started out. Built the thing that we wanted as engineers trying to implement authentication in a large complex enterprise, be satisfied with it ourselves, and then start asking friends, well, what do you think? You guys have different experiences. What do you think about this? What do we need to do to further improve it? Yeah. We've talked about getting to the wow quickly in some of our previous conversations. What was it like in the initial days to get to the wow quickly? And what made that happen? Ah, uh, yes. There's sort of a natural instinct by Eugenie and Matthias, just being thoughtful and experienced developers and, and system architects of, hey, we've got to be able to demonstrate value quickly. And we, we later formalized that. That was a big, big theme for us as we were in both product management and, and in marketing, which is Again, thinking back to the buying persona as being the somewhat cynical, uber rational, where, you know, yeah, I get tech companies all the time coming and selling stuff to me. And yeah, it's you know, mostly kind of BS, you know, how do we get them to actually try it out? Well, if they've got to invest more than 10 or 15 minutes, unless they've heard from lots of people, like, oh my God, this is me, you got to try it out. They're going to get bored or distracted and sort of go away. And we've delayed the opportunity to capture that customer. And so... We wanted to build a system that within a very short period of time, so the goal is order of 10 minutes, that engineer would say, wow, hey, I just did something that's really powerful. I just in 10 minutes with a hello world application got a custom database and Active Directory and Google authentication all working simultaneously in in 10 minutes. And I mean, that was like a week of messing around last time I did it. This is great. Wow. Okay. And so... We naturally build that because we like personally like to be efficient in systems that we use and then formalized it. Now, at any enterprise of any maturity, your authentication systems are, let's see, um, a real mess, first off. (laughs) But secondly, fairly complex. And as you're introducing new components, there's a lot of moving parts. And so we don't expect deployment to happen in 10 minutes. We expect the first while to happen in 10 minutes. And what we've demonstrated that there's enough there there's enough, a rich enough feature set and a rich enough set of hooks for extensibility and, and such so that the engineer can say, oh, okay, I see how I'm going to deploy this across my entire enterprise. Okay, I know this can work. And yeah, I'm going to have to spend X days or weeks doing it, but it's going to be worth the time because I know that this is a high performance system. It's got all the features that I need. It can handle all the corner cases I've got. And so let's go and invest the effort. And so the short time to wow as a guiding principle is, in my opinion, absolutely critical to, again, to inexpensive customer acquisition and very fast growth. Because if you don't have an ability for somebody to try out and convince themselves in a short period of time, you're now depending on them to have carved out that time, made the investment, and maybe they they just don't have that time or can't be convinced to make the investment. So. Short time to wow is a big thing for us, and it paid off really, really well. Yeah. And as you were speaking, it appeared to me that an API seems almost intuitively like a consumer product. It's kind of like a consumer product, and there's a lot of analogies to consumer product. But not completely, because it is for the enterprise. It's got to satisfy a lot of technical or feature set and, and scalability criteria. But at the end of the day, you buy a consumer product, a big part of that, because of the 
emotional content, the aesthetic appeal. You could buy any watch, but you buy an Apple watch. You could buy any car, but you buy a Tesla because those consumer products have been designed and marketed to make you feel better. And why does it make you feel better? Because, you know, you feel like you're getting something that's high quality. It's a great value that it's going to be robust and dependable. It's really important to try and evoke those same emotions with the enterprise buyer. At the end of the day, the enterprise buyer is just another human being, just like that person who is going to buy the consumer product. There's always an emotional component of the decision. One way, of course, is you have to appeal to the emotions is just having a high quality product that's easy to use and well-documented and such. But that's all what I would like to call what Auth0 does is Auth0 ships developer joy or DevOps joy, i.e. every touch point with your product should bring a, wow, that was great feeling. Just in the same way that Apple is great for every touch point, it's like, wow, that, yeah, that actually works just the right way for how I want to use it. And so we invested early, very early on. In the first 10 employees, we had our first designer because UX was super important. We wanted the look and feel to be beautiful. We had invested a lot in documentation to make sure that the documentation was well-designed and clear. And we actually had a live documentation. So you'd be going through it and instead of it saying, enter your API keys here, the code snippet would give you, hey, try this out. It would have already injected that. Just little minor things that makes it easier, smoother, more aesthetically satisfying as they're using or evaluating than, than using the product. After they, or actually during the evaluation and also after the purchase, a customer success, your support team, can't be people reading scripts. It should be very serious, very senior engineers who when the person calls, they immediately get the confidence of, oh, here's somebody who understands my problems and is going to be doing all the right things to resolve whatever my issue is. Either give me the right advice or go talk to core engineering to fix the bug or to write the rule for the extensibility for whatever my corner case is. But that's, again, just that's an aesthetic touch point. And I call and it's like, oh, wow, you know, this person's got my back. This is great. I, I've got confidence. So all of these are analogies to how consumer products are sold. It makes you feel good. Sell your enterprise product or service such that every single interaction makes that buyer, decision maker or stakeholder feel good aesthetically. That's really important. And you called out how it's not necessarily a consumer product. It's not a brand that you buy into. It's really a rational decision that you compare against alternatives. Could you speak more about that? First off, there is significant overlap. It's great to draw out the analogy and, and think about it. For an enterprise product, there's higher risk because there's more stakeholders. If I go buy an Apple Watch and it doesn't work out, I'm the one I've disappointed. <laughs> if I go buy a new authentication solution or a new communication solution and it doesn't work very well, my company has lost millions or tens of millions of dollars a day. And many, many people get embarrassed because there are many people that are involved in buying into the decision. And so there's that group driving to consensus, which is different. And one of the cool thing is, of course, that group is made up of individuals and each of the individuals is, again, looking for the emotional satisfaction, the aesthetic touch points of this is the right product. And so actually, while you can't just say like selling Coca-Cola, I guess you sell that by saying the word Coca-Cola a bunch of times, you know, with maybe some, a few positive words around it. You can't do that with enterprise software or maybe you can't only do that. It has to be XNOR, uh, Auth0 
does this for you or has this capability or is being used by this other company you respect or the marketing has more uh, data underpinning it <laughs> for the value proposition that you're describing. But there is a lot of overlap in the buying emotions on both sides. Yeah. So you've talked a little bit about product and positioning, positioning with respect to developers and products, the time to wow. You also mentioned at the beginning content marketing and what folks can do to bring their product and make their product more discoverable and bring their product above the fold on Google search results, for example. Oh yeah, we did a lot of experiments with content marketing just because when we started out, at, this is back at AuthZero, and actually at AuthZero we did blog posts and social media for content marketing. At Exnor we did academic papers because we had an academic background. Both are super effective. So for AuthZero, we started out our marketing, again, by tweeting. Just our CTO tweeting to his developer friends, hey, could you try this out? Let me know what you think. It turns out that Twitter is a primary communication tool for developers and how they share ideas. And it's super important to have a strong social media presence where people are talking talking about you with positive sentiment. That was one thing that we found. You have to be really careful in social media or any other kinds of content marketing, never, or at least only a little bit of the time, actually be selling because this audience of developers or technical buyers don't want to be sold to. They want to be informed. We wrote our own blog posts where we found, as I said before, sort of selling. And I was like, oh, look at these new features we're shipping. Yeah, those didn't perform well. Blog posts talking about a new Kubernetes feature or the crystal programming language or something of generic interest to developers, that would perform really well. And so the cadence we got into would be we would write articles with our own team of writers, as well as we'd bring on freelancers and such. And the writers were all technically very skilled. They were writing from experience, but topics that are actually useful to developers. And then the blog would be clearly the Auth0 blog and our logo would show up at the bottom and maybe like one line at the bottom that said, there's a cool authentication solution here if you ever would be interested. That would perform well. We presented conferences. Uh, we found that that was less effective, but still something worth doing. Again, you present not your product, you present on a interesting topic to the community. We would sponsor open source projects like Passport.js, which is the open source authentication component for, for Node. We found that tools actually were great forms of content for marketing. Matthias, our CTO, was on the JSON Web Token Committee. We'd written a tool which we published as the site jwt.io, which allowed you to turn a, a JWT into plain text and, and vice versa. So you could debug as you're using a, a JSON web token and see what the payload was and such. And so we published that. We put on the same website libraries that implemented JWT, including, hey, this version of the library is obsolete. Be sure you use the next one, things like that. And then at the bottom of that long page would be, hey, by the way, this is you know brought to you with love by, by Auth0. That was tremendously powerful. The time I left a few years ago, so the company's already under many tens of millions of dollars of revenue, that was generating like 7% of our website traffic in a month because people would be using JWT, developers would be using JWT in their daily jobs. Mm -hmm. And then at one point notice all zero and you know, click through and like, oh, wow, look at that. That was super effective and super inexpensive customer acquisition. Uh, or prospect acquisition. The last piece of content marketing that we would do that I'll, I'll mention that we found uh, super powerful was just our documentation. We didn't put our documentation behind a paywall. It was right up there. We made sure that it was spiderable by Google, that Google would index it because there's a lot of good material in there. 
And people will link to your documentation as you're explaining concepts or, or whatever. That's a, quote, inexpensive source of great content to improve SEO, but it's also a great way to show off what high-quality documentation of your product is to, again, get people to decide that they can trust you with something as critical as an authentication solution for their enterprise. And so those are all approaches we used for effective content marketing that we were really happy with. I mentioned before, I think, that we experimented with advertising. could never, never get that to pay off. That was not a good marketing technique. And so primarily the marketing is through content marketing. Our experience has shown to us, at least, that it's a great way to build a bottoms-up, developer-focused SaaS company. So we've covered product, we've covered marketing and positioning. On adoption growth, Auth0 also connected dots really well between free trials and word of mouth. How did that work? Kind of organically. The free trials, in my opinion, are really important. I see a lot of enterprise SaaS companies where I'll go to the site because a friend has mentioned them and I can't do anything with it. It says, hey, you know, click here and we'll have a salesman call. It's like, well, I don't want a salesman to call. I don't know if this is any good. I'm just sort of trying to figure things out. And with Auth0, we would let you click through with nothing other than give me some random username and you know, you've got an account so that they can be actually working on a hello world ex experiment, i.e. with download this quick start and you'll see that it works in like 90 seconds. So we would promiscuously give out free trials. And I think we started out with having, you know, the free trials were good as long as you're under X numbers of users. And then we changed it to 21 days and we, we wouldn't really enforce the 21 days. It was more of just an excuse for, hey, it's been 21 days. What do you think? But we could do that because the way authentication works, a marginal authentication is relatively inexpensive where the real cost comes in is building systems to be scalable to whatever Auth0 is now, 10 or 20 billion authentications a day. And so our COGS was low enough so that we could promiscuously give out free trials. And because we could do that, that was super effective because again, people would try it out and say, huh, this actually was easy to use and is powerful. Unlike when I've tried out after you know much pain and having talked to a salesperson, company X or company Y in the authentication space. And that was uh, really helpful. I, I will point out that I was saying low COGS is important for a free trial being sort of cost-effective. That's kind of true. What it really should measure it in is not in absolute dollars, but in months to, to payback once if that customer signs up. And so if you give away 10 trials, which cost you $10 each, but you can get that $100 back when that statistic, one of those customers is going to sign up and you get that back in six months. Oh, that's a great payback. And in fact, anything under 18 months payback for customer acquisition cost is great. And so you may have a product with expensive COGS. You're doing a database and people are going to be wanting to put petabytes there to try it out. And that might be okay to spend hundreds of dollars on customer acquisition cost as long as you're prices are such that you're going to get a payback in a reasonable period of time compared to the lifetime that your, your customer is going to have. Any way you can do a free trial, in my opinion, is important because they're, uh, again, engineers tend to be sort of cynical. You have to be able to show them that it works and works well. Uh, you can't just describe it to them. And did you have a view on whether you preferred uh, time-walled trials, so a free trial, a 40-day free trial, or a 30-day free trial compared to a usage-based or threshold-based free trial that beyond, say, X thousand users, you flip it to a different plan? I'd have a few more bits rather than one or the other. My headline is, I prefer usage-based. In fact, I would state this philosophy to customers. It's like, hey, we don't get paid till you get paid. And so if you're using us and sort of 
low volume and you're not really using us for production, we're not going to charge you or, hey, you know, help us cover the costs and such. But, you know, when you start using us to make real money, which, of course, you will, then you pay us for our contribution. And so that implies that what you really want is usage-based pricing. That being said, I just said a few minutes ago that we would have a, quote, a 21-day limit on our free trials. And that's more of a way of allowing your salesperson or SDR to reach out and establish a relationship if there's interest in a relationship. And so I think it's kind of good to have both, have the soft time limit of 21 days, decide based on your own costs and such whether you want to enforce that. And to close the loop, then the word of mouth comes around. But what are some of the drivers that help customers talk more about their experience with Auth0? What would get customers talk about their experience with Auth0 was having this aesthetically joyful experience with Auth0. And, and actually, this is something I would see over and over again. The customer who had been through the pain of implementing authentication multiple times before, every time it was a massive headache. And then they use Auth0 and say, wow. That was nothing like last time. This was easy. And then, and they want to tell their friends about it. And then for some people, it's, hey, I want the reputation points of being the, the person on the leading edge, finding new technologies for, for my friends. And of course, we'd also ask customers, hey, could you provide us a quote? Many of them were, were happy to do that because they wanted us to be successful because we'd become a, a key part of their infrastructure. We had one customer uh, at a utility company. It was a new CIO and who'd been there, I don't know, a year or so. And he'd been hired to do a digital transformation of the utility. And he was visiting us at our office and said, hey, I wanted to let you guys know, I've done six of these digital transformations before, and I am now in month two of the transformation at Utility X, where I was at the end of year two, the last six times, due to using Auth0 because so much of the digital transformation effort was getting horribly messy and scotch tape together authentication working and we solved all that for him. And so he was out there telling all of his friends in his community, it's like, man, there's this great solution to make you guys a hero at work, just like I become a hero at work in two months, what before was taking two years. Making heroes at work. That's awesome. Thank you, John. This was such a wonderful conversation. What's next for you? We'll see. I'm taking a sabbatical right now, and I'm working hard to try and make it be at least a full year. And when the year is up, come January, I'll make a decision what's next at that point. Awesome. Thank you, John. Hope to have you back and speak more about XNOR maybe next time. Well, thank you, Anu. Thanks very much for inviting me.